Well, at least two Canadian women and an unknown number of kids are heading back to Canada, Canada, we believe, tonight after being released from a detention camp in northern Syria, which holds women captured uh, and suspected to be ISIS members and their kids. One of them is believed to be BC woman Kimberly Polam, who married an ISIS fighter and had been held there in northern Syria for more than three years now. Now, until now, the federal government had refused to repatriate any of the more than a dozen Canadians captured by U.S.-backed Kurdish fighters in Syria during that fight against ISIS. But earlier this year, the human rights group Human Rights Watch accused Canada of actually preventing a Canadian woman and a young Canadian child detained in northeast Syria from coming home for life-saving medical care, despite a Canadian policy allowing them to do so. It was unclear what role the Canadian government played in the release of the people we're talking about tonight. Now, Pullman did speak to Global News in northern Syria in 2019. Here's what she had to say. Right now, the concern would be bigger of getting the women and the children out of here. Um, we have a justice system. Put them in front of that system and let that system deal with them in a way that is actually much safer. Um, I don't trust what's going around here. I mean, thankfully, we have U.S. presence here and we have drones everywhere. And I'm pretty sure that out of all the areas of Syria, this might be one of the safer ones to be in. Um, but when ISIS says that they will come and do something, I would suggest that we might want to listen to that. I take it seriously and I think that the rest of the world should also. These people don't play. And they have nothing without all the women. <laughs> and they know that too. That is BC woman Kimberly Polam, who was, had been held in northeast Syria for several years. Now we believe she's on her way home tonight. We don't know exactly why, uh, but it does shine a light on the fact that thousands of people from all over the world, including kids and Canadians, are still left in this limbo in Syria years after the fighting all but stopped under the protection, or at least under the guard, Kurdish forces who would very much like to send them home. Well, joining me now with more on this is Stephanie Carvin, an associate professor of international relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Uh, welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me back. So what do we know about what's happened? Because it all sort of came out of the blue. I know Human Rights Watch put out uh, stuff about uh, this particular person back in, earlier in 2022, but this all seems to have come together pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, the government, to be fair, has been looking and considering this for a long time. By a long time, I mean, like, since 2015, 2016, when it became known that there were multiple Canadians that had gone over. Um, and as quite a, a number of them ended up in, in prison, I believe, um, like, you know, my, my colleague, Amar, Amarnath Amar Singham at Queen's University, has picked a number somewhere between 35 and 40, um, the, of which I believe everyone but three is either uh, a woman or a child, right? I think there's th three believed to have actually been um, foreign fighters in the sense that they actually engaged in fighting. So, yeah, I mean, the government has looked at this for a long time. Um, they, I think politically it was very difficult to do because you have a bunch of people who, A, belong to you know, one of the most notorious violent extremist organizations in existence. Um, and also the sense that, you know, people made a choice to go over there and fight against uh, Canada's allies. Um, and as a result of that, um, you know, I don't think there was a lot of public will to really bring them back. So I think the government um, has hesitated. Uh, it, it's acted, frankly, I think, in a bit of a cowardly manner. Um, we, we can get into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why uh, the, the government hasn't uh, brought these individuals back is just simply because I think 
to a large extent, it, it's been politically unpalatable. But also, I mean, to be fair, there's some some challenges with regards to, well, well, what do you do with them when when they're actually back? Yeah, and there, therein lies the question. I think we understand in this case that uh, that illness, uh, severe illness, may be the cause here. Um, yes. And there have been some conflicting reports in the past about just exactly how open Canada is to bringing people back, even if they make it to an embassy, say, in Erbil in Iraq on the other side of the border. Uh, but back to the two women, if, if there is an illness question here, will they face charges if they come back? Do we know? So one of the biggest challenges, and I think, you know, I said this, it's a question of political will, but one of the other issues here, I think, um, to be fair, is, you know, these individuals have, um, I said, you know, gone over and, and supported a violent extremist group. The problem is, how do you prove that in court with court-ready evidence, right? It's, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, they joined a terrorist group. Well, actually, there's no law against joining a terrorist group, believe it or not, right? There's, you, can, you, you have to actually do something to further the ends of the terrorist group. Um, um, you know, we, we call that like facilitation. You have to mm-hmm. have actually facilitated that group in some way. So the question is, can you prove that these individuals actually facilitated some kind of violent extremist activity. And that becomes really hard. You could say, well, didn't you interview them? But, you, but then, you know, in court, these individuals would just say, well, I was in an ISIS prison. I would do, say anything to get out, right? There, we just don't have a lot of good court-ready intelligence. You know, we have a good idea of what they probably did, but proving it in court is like a whole other manner. So it becomes really, really hard to, to just uh, prove. It wasn't until fairly recently we even had a criminal offense that actually um, made it illegal to go over and fight in, in such a conflict. So, it, it, you know, it, it really is, is, has been a challenge. And I think this is one of the reasons why the government has also hesitated, because they know that the possibility of bringing forth criminal charges is probably pretty low, which means that these individuals, you know, they might be subjected to what's called a peace bond. A peace bond is like a fancy restraining order in some ways. It basically just says that, you know, it restricts what a person can and can't do because uh, the police have um, a, a reasonable ground to, uh, so, you know, I, I believe it's suspects. I believe it's suspects. I don't think it's believed, but a reasonable, a reasonable ground believes or suspects that um, an individual is about to uh, or is, is going to engage in some kind of illegal behavior. And so you can put kind of this restraining order, which we call a peace bond on them. So there's that possibility. Um, but the actual thought of bringing criminal charges against these individuals is, is uh, pretty, pretty low, even if they do eventually confess. Which then raises the specter of bringing people back and then and then watching them go free, which I'm sure the government doesn't want uh, to be exactly. seen to be doing, uh, regardless of what the uh, what the moral implications of that are. Because, truth be told, they're now in these Kurdish camps. Or at least that's where the Kurds are guarding them. They don't want them there. They they want it. They want them to be sent back to their home countries to face whatever justice they must face. Um, exactly. And there's a lot of kids there too. So there's a lot of pressure. It's 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 a situation. You're right. It takes some courage here, and I'm wondering what that courage might look like going forward. Yeah, I mean, but just to your point, I mean, these camps are not. It's not like summertime fun camp. But they're not just sitting around. These camps are terrible places. Like they're genuinely terrible places. And you have people who, um, you know, may have gone over, made some mistakes, got stuck there and are trying to find their way back, but may have kids, and it's really complicated, versus people who are like, but also in those camps, 
are hardcore ISIS supporters or Daesh supporters um, who do actually want to recruit, train people, um, cause riots, cause harm. I mean, these are terrible places, extraordinarily dangerous for children. And yeah, if someone has a serious illness, then this is no place to get medical treatment. These places are really, really terrible. And some people might say, well, you know what? You went over there. You deserve it. Too bad. Um, Okay, maybe that's true for the adults. But, like, the kids are innocent. Like, they haven't done anything, right? And then you might say, well, why don't you just bring back the kids? So I'm like, well, then you're making them orphans, right? (laughs) Yeah, Because then you're you're taking them away from their parents. Like, it's not – there's no – fun happy easy solution here it's like everything's awful but like i think we have to prioritize the lives of the children that are in these terrible camps bring them back and then find ways to actually deal with the people who made the choice to go over there and you know i mean other but other countries have been dealing with this for a long time right like um in the netherlands uh for example if they're when they had returnees they brought them to an institution. They evaluated them for, for risks. Um, they treated anyone over the age, I believe, of 14 as uh, a foreign fighter, like someone who'd been, who'd been trained, because that was the age at which um, uh, Daesh had, or the Islamic State had been effectively uh, training people at that time. So, but, they, but they were also worked out like programs to put these people into, right, counseling programs. Um, programs geared to trying to get these people back into society. Do they need, you know, a lot of the women who've been in these camps have been raped, you know, do, or have suffered some kind of sexual violence. Do they need some kind of counseling or medical treatment for that? Uh, the kids who've been raised in this environment, like, you know, you can't yeah. just suddenly plunk them into normal schools. So, like, there, other countries have found ways to get around this, and frankly, they've dealt with far more of their own citizens than, than Canada has w- would have to face. So, so Stephanie, what do we do from here then? Because we can't just leave them there forever, or can we? Well, I don't think we can. I mean, this is the thing. So uh, a couple of points here. First of all, again, like this idea that, you know, they left, we should just leave them there. Like, it's not a very good thing to just dump our problems on the Kurds, right? I mean, the Kurds are still very much involved, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier the fighting's over. It's not. <laughs> it's yeah, still uh, regular, regular kind of not battles. I would say, but there's definitely still fighting happening in the area, right? And the Kurds are nominally, at least, our allies. We trained them for a long time, and now we've dumped a whole bunch of foreign fighters on them. And the Kurds, quite frankly, would like us to take them home. So I think that's part of it. Um, you know, just kind of fulfilling our commitments to our allies. Um, but also, again, like. I mean, this idea that they're just going to stay and rot there forever is, is wrong. Like, it's just not going to happen. I mean, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is um, often these camps don't have great security, so people escape, right? Now, so far, these people haven't been able to escape. It doesn't mean they won't be able to in the future. If there's one thing ISIS specializes in, it's actually breaking people out of prison, right? This was the start of their big comeback in 2014. They, they broke um, tens of thousands of their fighters out of prisons in Iraq. So, you know, if ISIS comes back uh, for a number of reasons, we, we can talk about that, but let's just stick to the topic here. Um, it's possible, like if there's enough prison attacks, that, you know, these camps could eventually fall and these fighters are going to go elsewhere. And elsewhere could be, I don't know, uh, going back to, to join the Islamic State, but it could also be, you know, going to Europe, um, going around the world and, um, you know, I mean, presumably they don't have travel documents, but they could end up in a lot of places. 
And so that that poses a risk um, because, you know, if Canadians had the opportunity to repatriate someone who then goes on to do some kind of violent extremist act elsewhere, I, I think that's that's not a great thing for Canada, right? So I think the best thing, I mean, it's not, you know, I understand I can hear like everyone groaning and, and the gnashing of teeth and pulling of hair through the radio, um, but like, you know, the real pragmatic thing to do here is to bring these people back, uh, charge where we can, right? Uh, charge the terrorist offenses if we can, if at all possible. And if not, to make sure that these individuals are either under peace bonds or in um, treatment programs that we've set up. Out in BC, for example, you have some great uh, programs that are aimed at violent extremists like Shift BC, right? They, we, we now have the infrastructure to take people who are perhaps going down the wrong path or, or who have gone down the wrong path and help bring them back from it, right? We have, that's something we have in 2022 that we didn't have in 2016, 2017, is this, this established network. So I think that would also go some way to ensuring that, that Canada would be safe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the people who are now in these camps are women and kids. And uh, we can't just leave them there forever. Stephanie Carvin, thank you so much for shedding some light on this tonight, as always. Hey, it's always great to be on the show.